You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. How can we reconcile the cross event as being defined as a salvific divine act without unintentionally inferring that God's power to save is rooted in, in a willingness to humiliate, uh, physically denigrate, or violate someone's body to, to save others? Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 416. Our title this week is Easter and the Myth of Redemptive Suffering, and our feature text is from the Gospel of John, John 20, 1 through 18. Now it was the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene came early on while it was still dark to the tomb and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Messiah out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple came and went to the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple ran ahead of Peter and reached the tomb first, and bending down to see, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not enter. Then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen uh, wrapping lying there, and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up separately in another place. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, went in and saw and believed. Indeed, they did not understand the scripture that it was necessary for Jesus to rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned once more to their homes. Now Mary stood outside, facing the tomb and weeping. As she wept, she bent down to see in the tomb. Then she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? She said to them, Because they have taken my Savior, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why do you weep? For whom do you look? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. Rather, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Abba and to your Abba, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Savior. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That translation is from Wilda Gavney. It is uh, from her Women's Lectionary uh, this year that she has published, um, and I highly recommend it. Um, there's so much wisdom in those pages. But this week, we're reading the resurrection narrative found in the Gospel of John, and this is a combined resurrection narrative. It's developed after the early Jesus movement, and I believe there is something that we can 
glean from this version. One thing that is common to all the gospel narratives is the presence of women at the tomb of Jesus. And in John's version, notice that Mary uses the word we. That we is referring to women who had the courage to to go to the tomb as soon as there was daylight after the Sabbath, or even before there was daylight after the Sabbath, to, to and led, that courage led to the first proclamation of the resurrection. And those who showed up first intrinsically they got to be the first ones to share the good news john's version of the story encourages uh, me to, to to speak out when men and institutions say that women can't possess equal authority or credentials to proclaim the gospel each resurrection narrative also begins in sorrow and as john tells the story i can imagine jesus saying mary's name tenderly i love that she mistook jesus for a gardener that the detail that 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 story detail grounds this version of the story and the interconnectedness with our natural world that gardener know firsthand. I also love how Mary had to be told to let go. Wouldn't you have held on as she did if you had just witnessed the brutal murder of someone you cared for so deeply and now saw him alive again standing right in front of you? This version of the story, it also tells us something about how diverse the early Jesus followers were. Some patriarchal groups eventually won the power struggle and they became uh, the ones in, uh, that, that led out in the early Jesus in the early church to shape the Christian religion. But early on, there were there were more egalitarian communities of Jesus followers and, and some even matriarchal communities of Jesus followers. Some who valued uh, Mary Magdalene as, as others uh, valued the Apostle John and others valued the Apostle Peter and, and even others that valued the Apostle Paul. Um, the three communities of, of, of Mary and John and Peter all come together in this week's version of the story. John's gospel represents the the community that valued John, and yet even here we're seeing signs of at least three early Jesus communities vying for for credibility as the Christian church forms. Mary is the first to proclaim the risen Jesus, but this version also adds Peter and John racing to the tomb too. Peter arrives first, and John is first to believe, so all three of these early uh, church figures and their communities are competing in this version and we see uh, we we still see power struggles raging in the church today so so nothing much has changed on that front but every canonical version of the resurrection narrative drives home the importance of believing women specifically when they speak. And we can apply this practice in every area of our society today, both within our faith communities and in our larger society as well. Uh, But this coming weekend, most of Western Christianity will celebrate Easter. And perhaps we could deepen our practice of listening to women when they speak by listening to a few perspectives on the crucifixion resurrection narrative at the heart of, of so much of contemporary Christianity today. The perspectives, and I want to warn you, 
the perspectives that I'm about to share, they challenge traditional, familiar interpretations of this narrative and many of the atonement theories that have been born from them. I'll begin with a short, challenging example from feminist theologian Dr. Elizabeth Bettenhausen. And her, from, it's from uh, the preface uh, to the classic book, Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. And I want to offer a, a content warning here also. This excerpt uh, contains sexual violence in reimagining the cross event. But this is from Dr. Elizabeth Bettenhausen. Several years ago, I asked a group of seminarians to choose New Testament stories about Jesus and rewrite them, imagining that Jesus had been female. The following recreation of the passion story of Luke 22 was one woman's knowing by heart. They arrested the Christ woman and led her away to the council for questioning. Some of her followers straggled along to find out what was to become of her. There were several women and two men followers. The men followers were there mainly to keep watch over their sisters. Someone from among the crowd asked a question of a man follower. Haven't you seen this woman? Who is she and what is your relationship with her? He replied defensively, she is a prostitute. She has had many men. I've seen her with many. The men who were guarding the Christ woman slapped her around and made fun of her. They told her to, to use magic powers to stop them. They blindfolded her and each, each of them in turn raped her and afterward jeered. Now, prophetess, who was in you? Which one of us? Tell us that. They continued to insult her. And, and that was Candace Joyce who wrote that. Um, uh, Bettenhausen continues, After this story was read aloud, a silence surrounded the class and made us shiver. Ever since, I have wondered, would women ever imagine forming a religion around the rape of a woman? Would we ever conjure gang rape as a salvific event for other women? What sort of God would such an event reveal? These are, are, are valid questions. How can we today, um, how can we reconcile the cross event as being defined as a salvific divine act without unintentionally inferring that God's power to save is rooted in, in a willingness to humiliate, uh, physically denigrate, or violate someone's body to, to save others? And this is just one reason that I believe we must interpret the Jesus story and the crucifixion resurrection event, not in terms of how someone died or died for us or, or was executed. It's a story about how the one who was murdered for social, political, and economic reasons by the state was brought back to life. This is a story of how life conquers death, love conquers hate, of, of sharing, conquering greed, and life-giving power conquering death dealing. And last week, I shared a little bit from womanist theologian Dr. Dolores Williams. And this week, I'll add uh, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas's book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. She offers some absolute gems uh, about the cross. And she begins on page 178. And these, this is just a sampling. And she begins by quoting uh, Dolores Williams that the cross represents historical evil trying to defeat good. And then she then goes on to explain how life over 
overcame death in the Jesus story. These are her words. Jesus takes on evil. He takes on and defeats, not granting the power of death any authority over him. He does not respond in kind by adopting the methods of this power. The final triumph uh, over the death of the cross is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is God's definitive victory over the crucifying powers of evil. The cross represents the power that denigrates human bodies, destroys life, preys on the most vulnerable in society. As the cross is defeated, so too is that power. The impressive factor is how it is defeated. It is defeated by life-giving rather than life-negating force. That is, it's not the power that diminishes the life of another so that others might live. God's power respects the integrity of all human bodies and the sanctity of all life. This is a resurrecting power. God's power never expresses itself through humiliation or denigration of another. It does not triumph over life. It conquers death by resurrecting life. The force of God is a death-negating, life-affirming force. And next, Dr. Douglas quotes Andre Lord in, in, in their book, Sister Outsider, page 112. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temporarily beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. Then Dr. Douglas continues, God does not fight death with death. God does not utilize the violence exhibited in the cross to defeat deadly violence itself. If indeed the power of life that God stands for is greater than the power of death, this must be manifest in the way God triumphs over death-dealing powers. The freedom of God that is life requires a liberation from the very weapons utilized by a culture of death. In other words, these weapons cannot become divine weapons. The culmination of this liberation is Jesus resurrection. And this exegesis, it resonates with me so deeply. Every fiber of my heart says amen to this. The Jesus story isn't about a God who overcomes death by adding one more death, even Jesus's death. It's the story of a God who overcame, reversed, and undid death by resurrecting the one whom the state sought to execute. And for me, this is powerful. This is a story that moves us to believe in love's ability to win, even in the face of death, and to work toward that end. We can work more effectively for a better iteration of our present world when we believe that that better iteration is actually possible. Ultimately, I believe this was a, a first century story told in a first century language that was intended to inspire Jesus' followers to do just that. And, and this story can still inspire Jesus' followers today. Heart Group application number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what does interpreting the Jesus story as a story where life overcomes death and love overcomes hate, what does that change for you? And share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, and taking action. I love each one of you dearly. Happy Easter. I'll see you next week.